Welcome to the Productive Producer Podcast, brought to you by the Northern Tablelands Local Land Services. This is your podcast for production and management decisions relevant to the Northern Tablelands region. I'm your host today, Max Newsom, one of the livestock officers based at Glen Innes servicing the Northern Tablelands. The weather trial has a long history and strong community support, and I look forward to bringing you today's conversation where I sat down and interviewed current participants, John Chappell and Anthony Wren. These graziers share their experience with being involved with the trial and how the information generated has assisted with the decision-making and direction of their flock. I'd like to give you a bit of background on the weather trial. The trial has been allowing Northern Tablelands breeders to benchmark the performance of their flock against other producers in the district since it began in 1979. The trial is a collaboration between New South Wales DPI and Northern Tablelands LLS and involves weather producers submitting their flocks to enter where a random selection of 10 weathers are taken to make an individual team. Once teams are submitted, all sheep are ran as one flock at the Gleninus Advisory Station under the same conditions for three years. This produces a consistent approach to their management and environmental conditions allowing traits to be measured and compared on an even playing field. Throughout the three-year period, objective measurements are taken, allowing for a comparison of individuals and between teams. This is a two-part conversation where I first sit down with John Chappell, followed by Anthony Uren. John, welcome to the Productive Producer podcast. I'm really grateful that I could come out and sit with you today and chat about the weather trial. That's a pleasure, Max. Um, your family's had been involved in the weather trial for quite a while now, since 1979. Can you tell us about the initial connection with your father, Robert, who was a big driver of the weather trial, and what made him want to get involved from what you can remember? Uh, I was only, only a, a young fellow back then, Max, but I remember the local sheep and cattle officer, who was Trevor May, was very keen to... Uh, very keen to get a weather trial running up here, and uh, and Dad, so Rob Chapel, and uh, and several other members around Glen Ennis got together, and uh, I think were part of the management committee of the first trial, kicking off in 1979. Uh, so look, Dad has always been keen, or had had always been very keen to to be involved in anything that that gives you an opportunity to. Uh, an opportunity to compare different bloodlines when they of sheep when they're all run basically under the same conditions. And initially, where did a lot of those teams come from? So the teams were were drawn, and I think the paperwork suggested within fifty kilometres of Glen Ennis. Uh, so I think twenty percent of your weather uh, of that year's weather drop was to be submitted for a random selection mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, uh, so and in a way I guess similar similar to, to what's been done the last few years but uh, and then uh, teams of weathers were randomly selected from there. And a lot of interest from the Dundee Deepwater area which has a long history in the wool industry. Yeah cert- certainly does I, I remember my father saying that uh, at one point, he had 17 neighbours that uh, that were running sheep. Uh, that's obviously changed a lot. A lot of people have got out of their sheep up here, so we're 
in the position now that only three of our neighbours are, are running sheep. But yeah, sheep, the sheep industry up here has certainly got a long history. 40 odd years on from the start of the trial, what still makes you want to get involved in the weather trial? Max, as, as much as it, it's been uh, 40 odd years, which is, uh, yeah, which, which certainly seems like a long time, I think it's still critical that we find uh, and have the ability to, to look at what different people are doing in their marino enterprises and the, and the bloodlines that they're using and the way they're looking to push their own, uh, their own businesses forward and, and to be more profitable. And look, no, that really hasn't changed within 40 years. I feel uh, now with, uh, with more, uh, more technology around ways of selecting better animals, whether that be uh, estimated breeding values for sheep or ASBVs or, uh, or DNA testing or whatever it is, I think there's a, there's a great opportunity to proof what you're doing and to see what other people are doing in, a, uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in an operation where it's very easy to compare right across bloodlines because all the animals are being run in the same place. And technology is definitely playing, in a factor, uh, playing a factor in that and allowing you to more accurately select through this? Look, I, I, I feel it is. We are using RFID tags in all of our sheep now, trying to put a little bit more selection pressure. The last couple of years it's been pretty tough to, to do anything other than keep a minimum number of ewes, uh, ewe lambs. But uh, before that, a couple of years before that, we're using using uh, a fleece weight, a body weight and a micron to then develop an index uh, to try and pick those higher, more productive productive animals that are still cutting the high style wool that we're after. Well, we're on that topic. Can you tell us a little bit more about your operation here at Dundee? Certainly. We're running, uh, running about... Um, 2,000 merino ewes with uh, with another 500, five to 600 lambs coming through each year. We've been on uh, a combination of Westvale and Crestbrook bloodline uh, for for the last, at least for the last 20 years, predominantly uh, Westvale. Uh, we're also run a beef cattle operation, uh, an Angus beef cattle operation, running turning uh, steer weaners off for the uh, for the for the feeder market. Uh, and both of those seem to dovetail in quite quite well with each other. That diversity in your enterprise. Certainly, look, worm uh, worm resistance is one of our biggest biggest challenges up here. Yes. And the cattle certainly uh, certainly do assist. Uh, they're they're not uh, they're not the be all and end all, but they certainly assist with some of our worm management. They're another tool to be used. That's right. Yeah. We'll go back to the weather trial now. A little bit and can you talk about how the information generated from the weather trial how it's influenced how you run your operation I guess we haven't necessarily made any any major changes from from the information out of the weather trial I guess in a way it is it is confirmed confirmed to me that I think I'm on the right track with the type of wool that I uh, the type of wool and the type of animal that I'm, I'm looking to turn off where we're still trying to hit that Italian market with uh, reasonably high style wools uh, that need good staple strength, not overly long, uh, good and, and good yielding. Uh, 
Uh, and look, try to try to manage the micron to be around that 17, 17 mark. But it's a it's a great opportunity to see what some of the other uh, bloodlines are doing. And uh, look, I guess as a as a result, we had uh, we we did look at a couple of other studs and see that other participants in the trial had been using and uh, and get a bit of an idea of what what they're up to. So it's a it's a terrific opportunity to see what's happening in the wool industry. Yeah, definitely. My last year was my first year being involved in the weather trial and just going to the weather trial shearing there and helping run that with Brent and the atmosphere that was generated there and the interest everyone was showing in the different breeds and the different data that was generated was um, really impressive to see how they were going about using this information to help make decisions in their operations. Look, certainly, and I and, and look the gathering, and as much as uh, as much as we would normally have a an end of trial gathering or an end of year gathering, which is not uh, not been able to go ahead through the drought and uh, and uh, and COVID nineteen, but the the great opportunity to to gather with other like minded people who are still in wool, and that. I don't think that can be underestimated either. Like the, uh, it's a great, it's a great venue to talk about what you're up to, talk about some of the problems or challenges, uh, and also have a look at some of the some of the technology. I know, I know uh, the DPI have had auto drafters out there, uh, and have also using the uh, RFID technology, and it's a really good way of getting a a bit of an idea of whether that's going to work for us. Uh, and then how we can potentially collect that data and, and I guess most importantly how we're going to use it. John, would you like to talk about now how in your operation, how you find the balance between individual body weight and highest wool value in dollars per DSE? I guess uh, for us, most of the selection we're doing uh, early on is in our in our ewe lambs. So... I'm looking uh, when we're when we're collecting the data on our ewe lambs is looking at a body weight, a fleece weight, and a micron, and uh, and we're looking to try and incorporate a style score in that as well. But to use that as a as a baseline selection tool, once we've already been through and tossed out the animals that we we feel are, or not not necessarily tossed out, but culled the animals that are that are not up to standard. It just provides another another layer of selection for us. Uh, I guess uh, I know it, it might have caused a little bit of controversy in the uh, in the in in the weather trial that the results are, are, are put between highest wool value and also uh, dollars per DSE. But I think it's it's quite interesting to see the best performing animals, but then rating that to the weight. Of that animal, or how potentially how how big that animal is going to be. So let's say a, a, a ewe is is going to be seventy or eighty kilos. Well, she's going to take a lot more feeding than a ewe at fifty five. So I don't know whether I'm on uh, on utilising that information at the moment. It's probably more critical for me that that they cut enough wool and they have a lamb every year. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's very interesting to see the results of the weather trial put in a in a couple of different forms. Yeah, I'm, I do enjoy seeing the data across multiple different forms. As somebody who's data driven, in your opinion, how where do you see the weather trial moving forward in the coming years? 
look, I'd, if we could continue the trial on a, on a rolling basis, I think it, there, there would be a, a lot of value for the, uh, for the Merino producers in the, uh, in the Northern Tablelands. Uh, I'd like to, look, I'd, I'd love to see some of these newer technologies, and I think one of them is in relation to a flock DNA profile. Uh, and getting a bit of a baseline from a blood test of I think up to 10 animals of where, where you sit within the Australian sheep uh, EBV values. I'd love to see that incorporated in if, if on the next intake or even the, uh, the sheep that are in at the moment if we could potentially get the, the company that's running that to, uh, to sponsor uh, some of those. To, it'll be a great opportunity to see what the EBV figures and uh, uh, what the flock figures are saying compared to what the actual uh, data collected, uh, whether those two marry up. Look, I think also that it's it's absolutely critical that the weather trial stays and is continued to be run at the DPI in Glenelus. It's such a, a marvellous resource out there and uh, look, sheep are still important up in, in our area. And I think it must be run by someone independent and with the, with the constraints that we have around biosecurity, I, I think the days of weather trials being run on private properties are, unless they're, unless they're just someone looking, doing a progeny trial, you, you'll never get the information that you can provide from a weather trial being run somewhere independent. Uh, and I think it's critical that the DPI continue, continue to run them at the uh, Ag Research Station in Glen Innes. It's great to see that community buy-in, though, and the atmosphere at the research station there. Mm. Oh, look, it's 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 marvellous. Whether uh, I know on the, I think Brent mentioned it could have been last year. There was in excess of forty people through the shed on the day, and, and not not everybody had uh, had teams in. But then it, it's uh, it's a great opportunity to to discuss and, and to catch up with mates and people who are interested in wool. But then also the report that's generated is, uh, look, it's really, if you're a sheepaholic, it's, it's really good, uh, it's really good reading on, on, a, on a good, uh, even comparison across, across bloodlines. So, yeah, very interesting. It, it is interesting and it will be interesting to see how the results turn out after this year's shearing and how those changes in those placings in those teams moving forward after mm. year two, post post a bit of feed in the paddock. Yes, it's. Uh, I think we're all enjoying Max pushing the feed bin off the back of the ute and, uh, and just having the sheep back into, into grass. It's, uh, I know we're, we're, uh, we're generating a lot of vegetable matter in our wool as we speak. The ewes are loading up with grass seed, but still seed in the wool is, uh, it's, uh, it's the happy price to pay for having feed in the paddock. That's right, that uh, pushing the bin off and putting on a fence of your pliers and your roller wire. Yes, that's right, that's right. Well, John, I really do appreciate you coming on the podcast today and thank you very much for your time. Mm, pleasure, Max. All the best. Thank you. Anthony, welcome to the Productive Producer Podcast. Thank you for coming along today. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm keen to have a conversation with you today about your involvement with the weather trial and get your thoughts on them. Um, we might start. Can you just tell us a little bit about yeah. your operation at Congo? 
So, yeah, no, thanks, Max. Uh, thanks for the invitation. So, Congroy is uh, 25,000 acres uh, at Woolbrook, family-owned uh, operation. It's been in the field family for nearly going on 80-odd years. Um, so, we're purely commercial operation, joining 16,500 fine wool merino ewes. Um, we run a crossbred beef herd and also a ram multiplier. We're breeding, air, breeding um, just rams for our own use. Cool, I'll be interested to get your tape on your ram selection in a little bit, but first can you just talk to us a little bit about the weather trial and why you got involved and what it means for you and the operation at Congar Station? So I guess as wool growers, um, we're always uh, highly devoted to our flocks. Um, we think we do a good job, um, we get involved in the day-to-day while a business may be profitable. Um, I think it's all very important that you benchmark or check how your flock's performing against those against others um, within your area. Um, so I think it's important for us as growers to step outside our comfort zone, put our genetics, put our animals out there to see how they're performing against others. Um, there's always something we can do better. Um, we always think we're doing a good job, but until we get out there in a situation where we're benchmarks independently and all those information is gathered independently we see how see how we stack up against the others so from that point of view um, I think it's important that we uh, check how, how, our, how our flocks performing um, see how they stack up financially in an independent situation you mind talk, talking to us now a bit about um, your involvement with the weather trial and has any management decisions come from being a part of it so we've been involved, we're in this, this is our second New England weather trial. We've been involved in a few in the south as well. Uh, we've been fortunate to have some reasonable success, uh, especially in the New England. Um, so I think from that point of view, it's really reinforced uh, and given us confidence in what we're doing. Um, that success, sorry, we, we've taken a different approach to many. Um, our flock is stepped away from the traditional clathing methods and gone down the path of objective measurement and indexing. So pretty much you could almost say we're sort of doing a, a weather trial at home. Uh, electronic will identify all our animals. We performance record uh, in, the, in, in the format of collecting fleece weights, fibre diameters, body weights, um, the use of tensile strength uh, in measurement. So we're, we're taking a very much an objective uh, approach to classing the animals and stepping away from what was traditionally a subjective um, subjective operation. Uh, we're only using visual classing to take out the absolute obvious uh, culls within, within the flock. So we're doing that across both the ewes and the weathers. So we're taking out, or we're classing on economic fault only. So, and then using the, sub, the objective data to do the, do the, the real classing. I've, believe that um, we can overclass our flocks from a sense um, when we're collecting the objective measurement. Um, really if we're getting rid of the obvious economic fault early, measuring the balance and then letting the numbers really dictate those animals that stay. So if we start classing further once we've got that objective data, I think we're, we're starting to into a, eat into the profitability of, um, of the flock. Having those RFIDs as part of your system, with initially establishing them and the management that went around it, how did you go about that and educating 
your staff and then using that data and so it's sort of, a, I suppose, a learning process for all of us. Um, when we first uh, put our toe in the water and, and heading down the path of uh, uh, objective measurement, um, we did it in small cohorts, um, collect that information, prove to ourselves that we can do it, uh, see what the results uh, physically in front of us from doing that. And, and once we built confidence within ourselves, um, we, we get the system down pat, we're able to expand that. And we, we did that in, our, in the U-Flock, we're in, uh, objectively measuring the entire drop. Um, we could see the benefits of doing that in, in the progress we were making in production and profitability within the U-Flock. Uh, and we built great confidence in that, that it enabled us to go into even doing it with the weather flock and making truly objective decisions based around uh, an index that drives profit. Anthony, you mentioned earlier that you guys are breeding on your own rams for your operation there. Would you mind talking about the impact? What impact does ram selection have? Um, and what are some of the traits that you're chasing within your flock at the moment? So yeah, we've been, well when we first started, the, the flock is relatively young, it's only 22 or three years old. We started basically from scratch um, with the with the vision in mind to grow that out to, to this, basically the size we're at now, sort of 16 and a half, 17,000 ewes. Um, and to find rams, find enough rams uh, every year to, to fill our replacements was going to be one, difficult to do, and two, um, probably cost prohibitive at the end of the day to get the rams at, at the genetic standard that we, that we were looking for. So we went down the path of breeding our own rams um, and that's developed over time where we're, um, we're members of Sheep Genetics Australia, so we benchmark our ram breeding operation against, uh, against that all the time. We, uh, we're getting ASBVs and we're reporting and using that as part of our selection process. Indexes obviously factor very highly in that. Um, and it's probably a result of us breeding around rams and seeing the impact that that was having and how we were rapidly increasing the, um, the genetic performance of, of the ram nucleus that we decided to expand that across the flock. So the things that we put a lot of emphasis on is looking at whole farm benchmarking data uh, and appraising what's driving the profit within our Merino enterprise. And in our case, um, Wool income makes up between 75 to 83 or 4 percent of the total income within our Merino enterprise. So it made sense to us that we focus on the wool traits, um, not at the expense of meat traits, but not putting as much emphasis on body weight and productivity. Sur sur surplus sheep sales are certainly um, a part of, of the income, but Benchmarking over 20 years of data tells us that uh, fleece weight is where we're driving most of our most of our income and driving our profit. So we've set up our selection processes and adopted indexes that drive fleece value, and that's where we've put a lot a lot of our focus on. And I believe that's really paying dividends in what we're doing. In that selection process, would you mind talking about how long your turnover rate for your ram your rams are? So we're 
because we're breeding our own rams, we have the luxury of being able to uh, class a lot heavier, have a, a higher rate of turnover. So we're probably turning over between 40 and 50% of our ram battery annually. So there's high genetic turnover. Um, our average age of our rams is pretty young. Um, and we believe that all feeds in. If you know, rams, if they're not holding their own, or they're not, they're not breeding progeny that are, are better than themselves, well, there's no point in keeping them. So every ram has to pay its way, and they're tested annually, indexed annually, and classed on that information. And as I say, um, a high turnover of rams, sort of 40 to 50% a year. By having younger rams coming through your flocks every year, are you running at a higher joining percentage? Uh, no, no, we run it pretty much a standard, well, what I would call a standard joining rate. Um, keeping your joining percentages low means you can keep the quality of your RAM battery higher, uh, therefore, you know, increasing your rate of genetic gain. Um, I'm interested to get your take on this question. I asked the same question to John when, when I sat down with him. So, in your operation, how do you go about finding that balance between individual body weight and highest wool value in dollars per DSE? Well, so I think I might have mentioned that a little bit earlier, um, that body weight doesn't play a significant, or doesn't have a significant weighting in the indexes we're using. Uh, the greater portion of our profitability, or the greatest income in our Merino enterprise comes from wool, and that's where we put most of our emphasis. Um, we've looked at correlations between body weight and fleece value. We put a lot of emphasis on individual fleece value. And as I say, we, we've looked at the correlations between body weight and, and, and fleece value, and we can't find a correlation between the two. Um, so yeah, in, it's in our minds and our belief that body weight has no bearing on the individual fleece value of an animal. And finally, I'd just like to ask you, same question that I asked John as well. Where would you like to see the weather trial progress to in the coming years? Uh, look, I think it's a great initiative and I think it needs to continue. Uh, we always need to be uh, benchmarking ourselves, benchmarking what we're doing against others and it needs to be done in an independent fashion under the one management system. Um, as far as going to the future, I think uh, the introduction of genomics um, from a proofing point of view um, and give more rigour around the data we're collecting. And I think that that's, that's the future. I think that's where we can, if we can shorten those generation intervals up in, in our Merino enterprises through the use of genomics and adopting that technology, I think that's uh, a great initiative. Anthony, thank you very much for sitting down with me today and having a chat. I really do appreciate your time. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, yeah, here's to more weather trials in the future. That's right, and we'll look forward to the shearing. Absolutely. There with bells on. If you liked today's episode, hit the subscribe button. Feel free to jump onto our Facebook page, Productive Producer. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for more episodes. Please note, the disclaimer in the show notes, as some of the issues and content discussed on this podcast may not be applicable to every farm enterprise and guests and hosts within this podcast are not liable.